Welcome everybody to Sober, S-O-B-E-R, that is sto- Stories of Badgers and Power and Recovery. This is a podcast with the Wisconsin Voices for Recovery. My name is Aaron Claiborne, and I am the Outreach Specialist for the Overdose Data to Action Program, also known as the OD2A Program. Um, my relationship with the community is that I'm a recovery coach, recovery coach trainer, certified peer specialist, and uh, an overall uh, recovery advocate. Wisconsin Voices for Recovery is a peer-run movement that helps people in recovery, their families, professionals, and allies as a diverse coalition of recovery advocates. We serve a statewide network to link services and support to those in need. Joining me today is Mrs. Shelby Kuhn. Uh, Shelby is former manager of uh, Aurora Behavioral Health in Sheboygan. She is a recovery coach and a recovery coach trainer. She is a board member for Wisconsin Recovery Community Organization, also known as WORCO. Currently, her role is Senior Project Associate at Zero Suicide Institute. Um, Welcome, and please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, Shelby. Hi, Erin. Thanks for having me. Uh, Super happy to be here. Um, probably the first thing I should say is, um, in fact, I am a, I am a proud Badger. Uh, so I got my master's degree from UW-Madison uh, social work, like, gosh, a million years ago now. <laughs> um, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I am also a substance use counselor. Um, way back in the day when I was at UW-Madison, um, my focus in graduate school was actually um, to work with kids and families. Um, And I very adamantly at that time did not want to uh, work within the substance use field. And I never took any classes in graduate school on substance use disorders and working with them. Um, I really wanted to work uh, with kids and families and and thought (laughs) that I wouldn't need substance use training in order to do that. After graduate school, I did a postgraduate fellowship um, at the Yale Child Study Center where I received training and intensive supervision to work with um, kids and families. Uh, And after a couple of years, I I decided that I wanted to return to Wisconsin. um, And I was offered a position uh, at a healthcare system in my hometown. So um, it was really within... um, kind of those early couple of years after returning to Wisconsin, where I had the opportunity to work in the emergency department, um, in inpatient um, behavioral health care, and do some more intensive treatment in like a partial hospital level of care, where it really sort of opened my eyes um, to like the need for greater attention um, to substance use disorder. And that sort of um, my adamant refusal to, to get involved and to get trained was going to be sort of problematic for me moving forward. Oh, it, it doesn't seem like you had any issues. Uh, a nice array of, 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 uh, of, of work there. So um, how did you become interested in the recovery and addiction field? Yeah, so I think, you know, it was it was shortly after coming back to Wisconsin and um, in the position that I came um, that I took when I came back to to Sheboygan, uh, it was predominantly with an adult population. So that was, you know, kind of a new experience for me. In particular, they were really kind of adults with pretty significant mental health conditions. And I think it became pretty apparent to me, um, you know, that my like ability to sort of be a a change agent as social workers are really kind of meant to be um, 
was kind of hindered by my lack of training and experience and education in substance use treatment. Um, I was seeing more and more um, clients who had dual diagnoses. Um, and I really think that I was, you know, missing signs of substance use and really failing to appreciate the importance of substance use on um, kind of mental wellness. So I knew that if I wanted to make a difference for the people that I was working with, I needed to be, you know, better prepared to meet their needs. Um, so a couple years after coming back to Wisconsin, I went back to school and I enrolled in classes at UW-Milwaukee um, so that I could sort of meet all the education requirements to get my uh, substance use, uh, substance abuse counselor in training licensure. Mm-hmm. Um so after a couple of years, so I'm currently, a, I, I am a licensed substance uh, abuse counselor. Um, I'm currently in the process of getting my um, independent clinical supervisor license. Um, but I think maybe one of the other sort of major things that became apparent to me that I think really opened my eyes to sort of the concept of recovery Um was that, you know, in working with individuals in in my community in Sheboygan, um, I think that, you know, our community was really detrimental to sustained recovery. Um, so this was a community where we really didn't have any other options outside of like 12-step fellowship. Um, and even within the fellowship, there was, I guess, maybe for lack of a better word, like like some animosity, like individuals with opioid issues or kind of multiple substance use issues were really not welcomed um, into the AA groups. Um, some of the um, groups discouraged, you know, clients that I was working with um, from taking any psychiatric medications. Um, and so these were individuals who really did have some pretty significant mental health needs. Um, And so I think, you know, our recovery community was not super healthy for really empowering people in terms of sustained recovery. Um, But I also think just kind of aside from that, you know, the culture of substance use in Wisconsin um, and in Sheboygan specifically, like the messages that, um, you know, that like my clients, right, get from our community is that excessive drinking is really normal and sobriety is kind of silly. And if you do want recovery, you know, it's only through like abstinence in a 12-step program. Um, And so it was like a couple, you know, probably about six or seven years ago that I got involved um, in kind of a grassroots community effort to really try to, you know, expand and improve the the recovery community. in Sheboygan. And and kind of through that journey, I learned um, a bit more about sort of the idea of recovery capital, you know, and really Mm -hmm. kind of like the role and the importance um, that the community has in kind of helping sort of secure sustained recovery. So um, after, so this started about seven years ago, I think about three years into our journey, um, we were able to actually start launching some like peer recovery support services. Um, and about five years into our journey, we were able to actually open a true recovery community center um, in the Sheboygan community. So it's been, you know, kind of quite a journey since I think sort of my eyes were opened um, to sort of uh, what recovery was like in, in, in my community. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. Shelby, it seems like you had a passion for recovery and mental health and, and mental health wellness, uh, you know, prior to you, you know, going in your endeavor to, to learn more about it uh, is what I'm hearing. 
and, and me knowing you personally, I know you've done a lot of great things and you're very well educated uh, in all aspects of uh, mental health and, and recovery. Um, you, you mentioned how your passion to make a difference was there. Uh, I think it was just something embedded in you. And that's just, you know, my, my, my observation from speaking with you and from knowing you as well, uh, your curiosity to help and, and uh, recognize the need in the community. That's, that's awesome. A lot of people don't. Again, like you said, in those, in those 12 steps, there was certain criteria. Um, so now let me ask you, um, mm. these are some of the behavioral health questions. Uh, so from your experience uh, working in behavioral health, what do you feel are the best ways to advocate for a better patient care uh, relationship, especially for recovery? Yeah, that's a great question. Before I answer it, I'll just say thank you. You're always so complimentary to me. Yeah, so our listeners can know that Aaron and I know each other. We knew each other before this podcast. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and he's always so nice to me. <laughs> well, the compliments are deserved. They're, they're, they're not fabricated. It's all, all truth. Oh, geez. Making me blush over here. <laughs> all right. Uh, so let me answer your question um, about really, I think, about providing sort of better, um, you know, patient care, client care, whatever you want to call it, I guess, um, in the behavioral health field. You know, I think there's probably a thousand answers to that question. Um but I think maybe what I what it boils down to, or, or maybe one kind of one important takeaway is um, just how tremendously important it is to have open lines of communication and collaboration with all of the providers um, who are involved in that person's sort of treatment and recovery journey. So you want to make sure you know that um, psychiatry is talking to primary care and primary care is talking to specialty providers and the behavioral health team is um, to to whatever degree they can is in communication with that person's like recovery support services. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important to be you know on the same page and to have, you know, an awareness of an individual sort of, you know, kind of diagnosis and recovery status that's so critical. That's wonderful. I love the way you answered that question. Um, three of the things that stood out for me were the, were the uh, about the awareness of the, the client's needs, um, the resources that uh, are available and the open lines of communication. It all, mm-hmm. you know, coincides together. That is, that is great. I, I love that. Um, so tell me a little bit about how substance use disorder and mental health challenges interact with one another. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's kind of a complicated question. Uh, and I think it's sort of like, it's a bit like the, the chicken or the egg kind of conundrum. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Mental wellness and substance use are really so highly intertwined that it can really sometimes be challenging, I think, to sort out. Um, you know, the root cause. Because in so many cases, things like trauma or childhood, um, adverse childhood experiences, depression and anxiety, um, those often like serve as the basis upon which, you know, addiction can be built. Um, People learn that using a substance really helps improve their like crippling anxiety. Um, And certainly while it might help them function in the short run, in the long run, you know, it can become dependence. Mm -hmm. But it can really work the other way, too, you know, that the use of, of 
the use of or the dependence on substances can really create an existence where people are very highly isolated. You know, they don't have a whole lot of socialization. Uh, maybe their attention to kind of physical health and their wellness is uh, is not great. They're not attending to their emotional wellness, which I think creates a really bleak world where depression and kind of other other mental health challenges can thrive. So um, I think, you know, sometimes the substance use disorder can come first and sometimes mental health can come first. But for a lot of times they become so sort of uh, interrelated that it's, you know, it's really hard to to kind of pinpoint like a root cause of things. Yeah, it's kind of hard to distinguish, like you said, which came first, the chicken or the, or the egg. Um, question about that. Um, mm-hmm. With the, have you seen... Uh, in your own experience dealing with uh, individuals in recovery, uh, in substance use recovery and or mental health recovery, uh, does it depend on the severity of trauma? Um, how is that equivalent to the amount of substances a, an individual may use and then uh, resort to uh, long periods of isolation? How, how, do, how does mm-hmm. that connect? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think for a lot of people, um, trauma plays a huge role um, in, you know, in addiction and recovery. Um, You know, I can't, I probably shouldn't, I shouldn't even try a statistic. I usually like to throw them out and they're generally wrong because I can never remember (laughs) numbers. You know, but, you know, we know that, you know, the comorbidity is super high, right? Like 80% of people with a substance use disorder have a mental health condition, you know, um, you know, trauma is very common in substance use disorders. I'm not sure that, you know, I'm not aware of, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, um, of research that really kind of um, suggests that there's like a, what's the word I want to say? Like, like a dosing impact. So more trauma equals more substance use. Um, So I don't know if there's research that supports that. But we know that the more sort of like adverse childhood experiences that people are exposed to, the more likely it is that they will experience things like uh, suicide attempt, substance use disorder. Um, so they're really highly, um, really highly correlated and integrated. All right. Um, so again, what, what effects does that have on recovery? Um, you know, I think kind of regardless of sort of what started it or whether, you know, right, whether mental health or substance use kind of came first, um, I really think that recovery requires a pretty intense attention to, to both the addiction process, right, the, the beliefs, the thoughts, the behaviors that come along with, um, you know, come, come along with substance dependence, but also on, on mental health. You know, we really need to approach recovery with a strong focus on improving, you know, both of these aspects of a person's life in order to help them build a really strong foundation, you know, for long-term sustained recovery. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Okay. So, um, what are the key factors to develop in a successful recovery program for someone new in recovery? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I could list probably a hundred things, but we should probably try to like (laughs) narrow it down down a little bit. bit. Yeah. 
Uh, I think one of the things that's that's really critically important, I think, is connection. So like sort of 100 percent connection, um, you know, to to help people uh, to know that, you know, they're not alone in this, um, that they're not the only person who is who's experienced this, that there are people who can, you know, who can relate and can serve as um, sort of powerful sort of role models. Um there's a pretty popular TED talk out there that I think a lot of people have seen. Um, and kind of the tagline of it is um, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know that it's really quite that simple. Um, and I know that it's not quite that simple, but I do think it's really important, um, you know, for a person to know that that others have faced similar struggles and still have been able to find, you know, a life worth living. Um, and especially in this community, you know, people need a place to go where there is no alcohol. You know, they need to be given opportunities to have positive and healthy socialization um, with sober people to be able to like watch a Packer game, right? In a space mm -hmm. that's safe for them. Um, so I really think that, um, uh, you know, connecting people to re the recovery communities that exist uh, in, a, in a person's sort of home community are really critical um, in building, you know, a support network and building connection. Yes, I agree. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I agree with it. That connection isn't, it, it isn't that simple. Um, and everything you said about the power of the connection, um, people need a safe place to go, like you said. Um, mm -hmm. And those resources are available, but it's about the connection and then being able to seek those resources out. Uh, we all know if you want to get a drink, everybody knows where to go, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a question. What's a good bar to go to? Same thing with recovery. What's a good, you know, option for uh, a recovery resource uh, for for whatever mm -hmm. ailment I have? So that that is great information there. Yeah. Well, and I just think, I think it's a Wisconsin thing. Certainly. I think we see it very clearly in Sheboygan, right? It's like almost any kind of social event is so highly tied to substance use. You know, you go to a, you know, a child's one-year-old birthday party and there's a keg. You go to yeah. a church picnic and they're ser they serve alcohol. Any of the, you know, the summer festivals, if you join, um, you know, a softball league, like people bring their coolers and, and they, mm -hmm. and they're drinking. And so it can, you know, I think that just creates a lot of really sort of unsafe, you know, events in, in our communities for people who are really struggling to find recovery. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, Next question. What would you say to our audience about how to best support someone new in recovery from a substance use disorder? Mm. That's a that's a tough question. I have a lot of answers to it, um, you know, but it's hard. It's hard, I think, um, to say that not you know, not being that loved one or that person, right, in a in a person's life. Um, so I know what I say is not, it's like not an easy task. And that is, you know, to be really patient, to be patient, to be there, to be open-minded, um, to listen, to encourage them. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, um, you know, when, when people have, have gotten to some really dark places, there's a lot of bridges that have been burned and a lot of trust that's been um, kind of 
violated. And so it's it's hard for me to say like the best thing that you can do is to just be there and be patient because that's really hard, I think, for, for the loved ones. Um, but at the same time, I really do think that most people who love someone with a substance use disorder, they want to help. Even when the bridges have been kind of very badly damaged, like they want to help, they just don't know how. Um, and they either take on like too much responsibility for another person's sobriety, or they kind of like cut ties completely. And so I think it's a really challenging and, and sort of delicate balance for, you know, the support systems and the loved ones in, in people's lives when they're kind of in early recovery. But I think it's really important that, you know, that they verbalize sort of, you know, their commitment um, to their loved one, that they get, you know, that that they get involved in that person's treatment or their person's recovery, like they show up, they know, you know, they're integrated into that kind of treatment and recovery process. Um, and through that, they learn along that journey, I think, about what they can, you know, do, what they can best do to be, you know, the most supportive people Um you know, to their loved ones in early recovery. Yeah, you had some very good points. Um, there, there has to be a happy medium, right? Um, yeah. Either, like you said, families or family members will completely disengage, or they'll do the work for that person, which is yeah, yeah. Ni- neither is helpful. Uh, it's that individual's re- recovery journey. I believe we're there for support. That that listening and uh, having an understanding, even more so important, understanding. Addiction is very important yeah. uh, on, you know, as far as dealing with an individual who you love, uh, you know, helping them go through what they're going mm-hmm. through. So, yeah. You yeah, because there's there's so much sort of like, uh, what's the word I want to like, you know, maybe implicit bias, stigma, judgment, right? That addiction mm-hmm. is a choice. And if they just wanted, you know, if they just wanted to do the right thing, they would stop using. And, and so I think, like you said, that sort of understanding and that knowledge of what addiction is, is really critical too, because it's, it's hard, I think, for loved ones to understand like that it, it you know, it stopped being a choice a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. Now we have uh, a couple more questions here. My next question is, uh, you had mentioned that you, you're on a board of directors for mm-hmm. Wisconsin Recovery Community Organization or other known as WORCO. Uh, could mm-hmm. you expand a little bit on your roles within WORCO? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been a lot of things, uh, with work over the years. So, um, so I think as I I mentioned earlier, I think I really got involved in this effort probably about seven years ago. Uh, and at that time it was a, it was sort of a unnamed sort of grassroots effort in Sheboygan. It, it wasn't work. that was something that came a couple years later, um, and and back then it was really right the, such a such a simple and clear mission, which was to create a healthier recovery community in Sheboygan. Um, and at the time we envisioned having a recovery community center. Um, we envisioned you know really having a, a broadening and and more diversity in terms of the mutual support groups that were available um, in Sheboygan. Um, we really were hoping to kind of sort of bridge that sort of 12-step presence that was already in our community. Um, So way back at the very beginning, I was a volunteer, um, and I then became a a board member. Um, I trained um, in recovery coaching, and, you know, all these years later, I still remain one of our recovery coach trainers um, for WorkO. 
but over the years, I've been I've helped supervise some of our uh, our peer recovery staff. I've been a grant writer. I've been a fundraiser. I've been a lot of things uh, over the past seven years. Um, most recently, I'm I'm currently the uh, the acting president of the board. Um, uh, for for the time being, I was the vice president, but our president stepped down. Uh, I think this last year, so um, that's been my role over the last sort of twelve months. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, <clears throat> um, as we mentioned before, uh, I've worked with Shelby, and she has um, had a lot of different roles, and I think she continues to to uh, still be in every single role that she's mentioned. Um, <laughs> from my from my knowledge of of her uh input We're, working on setting boundaries Aaron. working on yeah. setting boundaries <laughs> try to try to take a couple of those hats <laughs> off huh yeah <laughs> I, I think you're doing a wonderful job uh could you could you say a little bit about the ed2 recovery program um that work was involved in yeah absolutely so i'll say actually that probably um ed2 recovery uh is probably the most exciting um, thing that we've done as an organization. Um, and for sure, probably one of the most important things that we've done um, as an organization. It, that grant opportunity when it came up, um, and gosh, I, I wonder if I'm going to get the year right. Was it 2016 or 2017? I'm not sure. Um, but that grant opportunity that we had with the state of Wisconsin was a real game changer for us. Um you know, so we had been, you know, envisioning and planning and, you know, setting this mission to do really good work. Um, and when ED2 recovery came around, it actually allowed us to move from sort of having this vision of what we wanted to actually being able to sort of execute um, some change in our community. So we wrote for our first ED2 recovery grant. I think it was back in 2017. Um, we've continued to write for it and be awarded funding for it every year since. Um, it's really helped Worko as a brand new organization in the Sheboygan community um, to have visibility with our healthcare and our treatment community. Um, and I think through that work, we've built some pretty important um, partnerships with our local hospitals, uh, with our human and social service agencies. Um, and it really was because of sort of the impact of the ED2 award in that program. Um, it allows Worko to provide recovery coaching services to individuals who are in need of recovery support services um, for opioid or, or stimulant use disorders. Um, it really helps us to connect with folks in, in moments of vulnerability, right? In moments when they um, have this kind of like kernel of desiring change. Um, and I think we're very, we're lucky, I think, to be able to help support people in some of their uh, some of their first steps of their recovery journey. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've seen Worko grow tremendously um, <clears throat> over the past couple of years uh, uh, through the ED2 program. And it's been a great thing and it continues to, to grow. Yeah. It's, it's a great organization. Uh, what are your thoughts about, <clears throat> about how to help? Excuse me, sorry. What are your thoughts about how people can best approach a hospital system with programs like the ED2 uh, recovery program? Yeah, well, and I think, um, you know, because of the the ED2 recovery grant that we had, um, I think it made Worko really well positioned to build these partnerships with our hospital systems. 
Um, so I worked to write for one of the primary systems in our community. Um, and so I had some existing relations already within our behavioral health services, within our emergency department. Um, and we were actually really lucky that, um, on the workal board, uh, we also had other representation from both the healthcare system that I worked at and one of the other major healthcare systems um, in our community. And I think that probably allowed us maybe a little bit more leverage to sort of get in the door um, mm -hmm. because we were, you know, us as individual people were really already sort of um, known and, and, and respected within the community. Um, but I think that said, coming, you know, from, you know, coming from working in a healthcare setting, uh, these are settings that are really in dire need of meeting the needs of patients with substance use disorders. Um, so if you think about, right, like in our um, med surge units, right, um, most medical social workers and most nurse case managers really have very little knowledge Um and sometimes they have little interest in navigating the treatment and recovery world. You know, it's, um, you know, supporting people with substance use disorder is new for them. Uh, and so when a program like this becomes available where they can make a phone call and a trained peer recovery support person can come in, they can build that relationship with the patient. They have that that connection um, through their own lived experience. Um, and these folks can also really help educate the healthcare staff about, you know, the treatment um, and recovery programs that are available in the community, how to get people connected. I really think that's like a godsend, I think, for healthcare systems. It frees up time for their own staff. It helps reduce lengths of stay, right? When the hospital, um, you know, staff are really struggling to create kind of like a discharge plan that considers a person's, you know, sort of long-term recovery needs. And so when they have that partnership, when they have kind of those sort of experts be like available to walk in the door, I, I can't think of any reason why a hospital system or a healthcare system would not want to take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I've seen it myself. I, I believe there's stigma, um, you know, individual stigma, uh, in healthcare systems, and that's just simply from a knowledge, a lack of knowledge about substance use, uh, you know, disorder. Mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned, these recovery coaches can come in and train staff. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, like I said, I've seen it myself where just the little information uh, to, to the nurses on staff and or the doctors uh, about how addiction affects someone, and it's a disease. It's not a choice. Uh, yeah you know, the staff becomes more educated. So the stigma decreases and in turn, they can even uh, provide the information that they've been provided with to uh, get an understanding to the next person, maybe a family member who, who comes into the ER uh, yeah. before the coach comes about uh, substance use disorder. So that is, that is good stuff right there. Good stuff mm -hmm. I'm hearing. All right. Um, so what are your thoughts uh, about how to best run a successful nonprofit. This is the business side of things. I want to hear something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so good on the biz business side, Aaron. Uh, I don't know that I have the answer to that. <laughs> I, I, I think you do. You've, you've done it. You're doing it. You know, I think, you know, so I think, um, you know, a recovery community organization in particular, um, you know, has some additional challenges uh, aside from simply being a nonprofit, right? Like, so I think really our biggest challenge as an organization um, 
has been finding staff who have both the passion to make a difference in the community, but who also have you know, lived experience in some way, shape or form um, mm. of substance use issues. So, you know, having some kind of close connection to recovery, whether it's themselves, a, a loved one. Um, so that's hard to find. Um, so having someone who has that passion, who has that connection to recovery, uh, but who also has kind of the training and expertise in like the essential functions of a, of a small nonprofit, which is fundraising and marketing and budgeting and like operational success. So, you know, I, I think at least from a leadership level, um, you know, those are some of the, you know, some of the primary challenges that I think exist. Um so finding those uh, those diamonds in the rough um, mm-hmm. to 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 get involved is uh, huge, um, and I think you know there's some challenges that we also have to overcome even from you know sort of like the level of direct service. We have fantastic recovery coaches, um, and they have huge hearts and they want to do uh, amazing work in the community. They want to help people. They want to do good, um, and you know so our staff, right? They are the key to our success. They, they are the key to, to, you know, making recovery a reality, but there's also this sort of conflict about like what we want to be able to do, like the services we want to be able to provide, Mm -hmm. um, and what we actually have the funding for, you know? So it's a really challenging line to walk. I think, you know, it's a very hard balance between, you know, doing good, um, and, uh, balancing a budget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, so what are the, some of the challenges that you've encountered and had to overcome? Yeah. So I think, like I mentioned before, I think, you know, in terms of, um, at a leadership level, I think, uh, finding staff who again, have sort of like, who have the experience and the education, but truly have some, you know, that, that their heart really resides in recovery in some way. I think that's a, that's a big challenge. Um, but it, you know, as an organization, you know, so we went from not being right, a nonprofit. So it was a, a couple years in that we were able to sort of incorporate and get our 501c3 status, you know, and over the years we've had, we've had like too large of a board where, you know, we had so many people that we couldn't get things done. We've had too small of a board. We've had not enough staff, not enough money, not enough supervision. Um, you know, for, for a lot of years, we lacked having really that brick and mortar center, which I think um, has been really critical. I think uh, has been a turning point for our organization to actually, um, we used to dispatch coaches, right? They would operate a hotline and they'd, you know, be in their house and they'd be on call and then they'd go out in the community. Um, but having a place where people can come to, um, I think that was really, that was really a game changer for us as an organization. Um, but I think, you know, honestly, the challenges have been sort of endless and nonstop in seven years. So if you were hoping this was going to be really optimistic, I'm, I don't know that I have it, but you know, we're here, we do good work. Like it, you know, somehow it works out. Yeah. Yeah. You made it through the challenges. And, and like you said, there's, there'll still be more coming and, and you'll get through those as well. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are your thoughts on the best way to secure funding? Yeah. You know, I think, it's really, I think, about building strong partnerships in the community. So, 
most business sectors, right, they have an interest in sustained recovery, but they just might not know it yet. Um, so I think really knowing your audience and being able to connect why recovery matters to them is really important. Um, we sort of know that nonprofits can't exist long term, you know, uh, with grant funding alone, like the sustainability of grant funding can be, you know, insecure. We don't know how long it will last. And um, and while it can be uh, huge and amazing when we have it, uh, when it goes away, it's a real problem. So nonprofits need to have a really strong um set of community donors. Um, and if you can show how a service like a recovery community organization um, saves healthcare staff time and reduces readmissions, that's really meaningful. If you can talk with businesses about how supporting people with a substance use disorder will help improve attendance and productivity and workplace wellness, that's also really meaningful. Um, you know, a lot of people think that addiction sort of like isn't their problem. Um, but it's really not terribly hard to show people how sort of misguided that belief is. So I think, you know, really the keys, I think, to, you know, sustainable funding um, is building strong partnerships in the community um, with your community donors, but also being able to translate your ask or the benefit of what you do into some kind of relevant data. How does it like, why does this make a difference to them? And like I said, if we can, if we can show in partnerships with our healthcare systems that people that engage in our recovery support services had fewer readmissions into the emergency room or fewer relapses uh, or spend like, or have a shorter length of stay on a med surge unit when they're recovering from an overdose or something like that. Like that's meaningful work that, that I think, you know, translates into support and dollars from those partners. Yes, it, it is certainly uh, important for individuals to understand that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. People do wonder, how does that affect me? Why, why should I buy into that? But, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as a community, you know, as a whole, it, there's an effect. Uh, it could be an effect on your family members, your children. Um, so, yeah, that is very important uh, yeah. as far as securing securing fund, funding. All right. So this is my last question for you. Oh. <laughs> I hate to end this session, but <laughs> we'd be here all night if we, if we kept going. So um, what do you believe is important to know about getting involved in the recovery field? in general yeah um yeah gosh well again like i could probably say 100 things but i think you know this is really difficult work um so whether you're approaching it really from kind of more um an administrative side right so trying to find funders trying to build sustainable um programming uh, it's a really long journey. It takes years. It takes a lot of time and investment in the community and in your organization. Um, if you're doing it from the side of, um, you know, recovery support services, right, as a as a provider of care or a treatment provider, um, you know, this kind of work comes with a lot of ups and downs. So, you know, for every success story that you might have, there are people who don't make it out of the darkness. And, you know, when you care about helping people find meaning and purpose and recovery, 
experiencing that loss is really hard. Um, so this is, a, I think it's a really difficult field to work in. And for all of the innovation that we have, like, you know, there's newer medications, they, you know, we've been able to broaden the recovery supports that are available. So we have things now that, right, that cater to, to folks who are, you know, look to God for their recovery. And, and there are, there are groups out there now that, um, you know, that, are good fits for people who look to like nature and physical activity to, to help support their recovery. Um, so for all of the new innovation that we have, it can also be sort of a really bleak kind of world to work in. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that's particularly sort of uh, maybe prominent right now that, you know, nearly two years into COVID, we've, you know, seen what I would call deaths of despair, right? Like mm -hmm. increasing at sort of record breaking speeds. And so I think there's a tremendous amount of heartache, <laughs> you know, yeah. in this work. Um, and so I think probably one of the most important things for people who, who want to be involved in the field of recovery is to really focus on, um, you know, healthy boundaries and self-care and understanding what we can control and what we can't, um, because there's a lot that we can't control in this kind of work. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there there can be a, a, a huge impact uh, on how you maintain uh, your relationships, um, given the, the amount of self-care and the type of self-care you provide for yourself. Uh, the, it affects the type of uh, care you, you know, give to others. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, yeah. it could be very detrimental if you don't have those boundaries as well. It's a, it's a, it's a tough game, uh, you know, and I know from experience and just like you do and, and several recovery coaches experiencing, um, you mm -hmm. know, burnout and, and, mm -hmm. and, and, and those types of things. Um, so, yeah, I, I love everything you said. That was great information. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I just, I want to thank you again for inviting me and letting me be a part of this. And I, I hope, uh, that, you know, hearing some of uh, my experience and the experience of Worko is, is helpful to someone out there. <laughs> yeah, um, it definitely, definitely, uh, definitely will be helpful. Uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, recovery advocates everywhere. Uh, thank you for joining us for this sober podcast that's Stories of Badges Empowering Recovery with our special guest, guest Shelby Kuhn. Uh, very inspirational words, uh, very knowledgeable woman, and uh, she, she keeps pushing on and